Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the world of tech. I'm Tom Chitty and with me is CNBC's senior tech correspondent, Arjun Karpal. This week, we're going to be talking about Chinese tech company Huawei and one of their new smartphones. There's been huge interest in this phone because it's got a chip inside of it that allows the device to connect to 5G networks. Now, that may not sound that surprising, but because of the US government and their moves over the last four years to try to cut Huawei off from such technology, it is a bit surprising. To add to the intrigue, on Monday, Huawei had a high-profile product launch where the phone wasn't even mentioned. What is going on here? We'll dig into why this phone is so controversial, what the chip inside is all about, and what this means for Apple. We'll also be hearing from one analyst's view on whether this is Huawei's big comeback. And after Arj has done his best to solve the mystery, we'll be looking at Amazon's potential $4 billion investment in a company that has built a rival to ChatGPT. And then we'll be finding out why Japanese carmaker Nissan are accelerating plans to electrify all its vehicles sold in Europe, when countries like the UK are delaying their ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars. And finally, finally, excuse me, we'll be rounding off the show with the stat of the week, where Arjun throws out a number, and I have to guess what he's referring to. So, lots to look forward to. Beyond the Valley. So, Arj, um, how are you doing? Yeah, doing well, thanks. Busy week. Busy week. Lots going on. Um, well, you bit you've been you've been away, haven't you? Um, yeah, been away. I was in out out out. No, I was in Poland last week actually at this interesting uh, tech conference. Of course, that's all I do with my time. Yeah, uh, just just in tech conference. It's quite fascinating actually. This venture capital firm called uh, OTB Ventures was hosting this event. I was moderating a panel. A lot of chat about AI, of course, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure we'll deal at some point on this podcast. Yeah, and microchips, I bet. Was it a bit of chat on microchips? Yeah, yeah. yeah, met some fascinating people. So that was good. A good fun. Um, and have been trying out some new technology, which is always fun. Foldable phones. Seen these phones that sort of the whole screen folds? Yeah, well, this was a few years ago now, but when I was at uh, Mobile World Congress, I did, I did try out um, a couple of these foldable phones but this was you know year one of foldable phones i mean we're talking about you know i've I've had the motorola razor so a flick phones is is something else entirely right completely different right right right, yeah so the foldable but it had this crease and i still think from the images i've seen of the one you're testing out which is a samsung samsung yeah the new one there's still i know you've said it doesn't bother you anymore but i still see that crease and i'm like uh does it so i've used you know, I'm, I'm going to eventually get through all the foldable phones on the market, currently using the latest Samsung Flip and Fold versions. The crease is still there, but it, it's sort of not that noticeable. I think the, the other benefits kind of offset. The question is, would I, you know, or anyone, you know, be willing to pay the price for some of these devices? They're expensive. Good for selfies, though. Very good for selfies. Yeah, and watching stuff, you know, especially the foldy one where you've then almost got a massive 
screen then to watch and that, those are just the two things you do so selfies and watch stuff on your phone so you're sorted exactly some people like to maybe do excel documents <laughs> but like, not you you're not, not me that guy. No, no sometimes <laughs> um so uh, before we get into the uh, serious stuff um stand of the week can you just give us the number give our listeners the number and also it gives me a bit of time to actually work out what it was because i did terribly last week so the, the number is 55.8 million Right. And this refers to the number of smartphone units shipped by a particular company in a particular time period. I want to know what that company is and what that time period is. Right. We can talk about why it's a significant number. Okay. All right. Good, good, good. Okay. Uh, so back to this week's story. Huawei this month started selling a high-end phone equipped with the latest technology flying in the face of US sanctions and raising questions about how it's done it and what this means for Apple in China. Beyond the fabric. That's why this most recent phone is such a, whoa, what happened? How did they suddenly get these chips, right? Huawei is Apple's biggest challenges in the market. Uh, and we do expect it to be a headwind for Apple in China. Beyond the fabric. So, Oj, I think we should start the, the story um, this, from, from the product launch that wasn't this week. What happened there? Yeah, really high profile sort of adverts all over Chinese social media for this Huawei product launch. And earlier this month, Huawei quietly in China started selling a phone called the Mate 60 Pro. And a, a company called Tech Insights did a teardown where they effectively rip apart the phone, do some tests and figure out what's inside and what it does. And they realized that this phone can connect to 5G, these super fast mobile networks. Uh, and it's got an interesting chip, which we'll, we'll dig into a bit more. But then Huawei announced this this big um, event. And everyone was thinking, right, we're going to finally get some details about the Mate 60 Pro. We're going to find out what's under the hood. And and it comes around and they talk about two cars, electric vehicles. They, they've, they've got a partnership where they're developing electric vehicles uh, and some new headphones. Um, some Bluetooth headphones. Uh, there was barely any mention of this Mate 60 Pro. And there was a watch as well, a, a, a gold watch. Yes. So I was thinking sort of like your sort of 20, your your, your Dell boy look for the modern man. <laughs> exactly. But but with internet connectivity. Yeah, I yeah, think. sure, of course. Um, so so that was what happened. And a lot of people in, in China, Chinese social media, were wondering what's happened. Why haven't we heard anything and, and they were left a little bit disappointed and certainly us observers outside of China watching this for, for clues about this new phone were you know also left uh, with que more questions than, than any kind of answers for sure so that was the event that was this week um, and we're still waiting for details I suppose from you know um, an outsider's or a consumer's you know viewpoint on this 5G phone or, you know, a 5G microchip doesn't sound particularly controversial. So what what's in this microchip or semiconductor that, that has caused so much uproar? So you're, you're right. You know, all the phones these days are coming with 5G chips. So why is this a big deal? Well, I think it stems back to Huawei as a company and what's happened in the world of geopolitics in the last sort of four years, right? In about 2019, under the administration of Donald Trump, uh, Huawei was hit with, with a number of sanctions. And, and I won't get into all of them, but it, suffice it to say, what this did to the company was it left it cut off from some pretty key technology. So when Huawei sold its phones outside of China, it was equipped with you know, Google's Android and all the Google apps. Um, Huawei, due to sanctions, was not allowed then to do business with Google. So Google 
apps and etc weren't allowed on the company's phones outside of China and certainly Google's blocked in China so it wasn't allowed inside of China either then um, there were further sanctions which effectively cut Huawei off from key technologies one of those key technologies was its chips Huawei at one point was the world's largest smartphone maker believe it or not ahead of Apple. I mean, this is what I was saying last week, is that they had this huge presence at, at MWC and then suddenly nothing. And this was it. In in around sort of 2020 or so, the company the company was designing its own chips that went into its phone. It's similar to what Apple does with its, with its A series of chips you may have seen in the new iPhone 15 Pro Max. They have an A17 Pro chip. Very similar kind of thing. Huawei designed the own processors that went into its... Um, its own phones. Uh, and there's very few smartphone players that do that. It's really just Apple, Samsung, and, and Huawei at that point uh, in time. And Huawei used to get these chips manufactured by a Taiwanese company called TSMC, um, which are the most, probably the most advanced, certainly the largest contract chip manufacturer out there. But US sanctions effectively cut Huawei off from TSMC, and they weren't allowed to get those chips manufactured. The problem was TSMC was the only company in the world that could manufacture the advanced level of chip that Huawei required, and that included these 5G chips. The US introduced these sanctions because Washington maintains that Huawei uh, is a national security risk. Uh, Huawei denies that it poses any risk at all, um, but it's one of the companies that's certainly been caught up in the geopolitical crosshairs. So it's been cut off from these key chips. It's been effectively cut off from 5G chips as well as a result of these sanctions. So it comes out with this phone, equipped with a 5G chip and equipped with a chip after a number of teardowns by a company called Tech Insights, looked inside the phone, that was manufactured by a company called Semiconductor Manufacturing International Co., a Chinese manufacturer. The problem was no one believed that SMIC could actually manufacture this level of advanced chip. And so that's why there's been such shockwaves caused by the release of this phone which you know as we look at it might just seem pretty pretty casual pretty pedestrian yeah but but clearly not um okay so for you um you know you've spent a few years living in china you've interviewed the uh, the founder of huawei a few times i think um what do you think right now with the fact that we've had this this sort of launch of this phone, big fanfare, and it must be hugely exciting for the company. And then this sort of product launch that was a little bit added to the mystery of what's going on here. What do you think the mood in the camp is right now? Yeah, you know, I I, I landed in China in, in October 2018 uh, to, to sort of open up CNBC's Guangzhou Bureau. And a few months later, uh, Meng Guangzhou, who is the daughter of the Huawei founder, Run Jungfei, um, she was also the CFO at the time, was arrested by the Canadians as she was traveling through Canada at the request of the Americans. And the Americans were, were preparing um, fraud charges against Meng Guangzhou and, and such allegations. Now, at that time, it was a huge, huge shock around the world that this has happened, no more so than in, in China and amongst the company. Now, I've met with Arun Jungfei, the founder, on, on, on a few occasions. I interviewed him. I had one of the first interviews in the world after Meng Guangzhou was arrested. And the mood then was one of defiance. Um, Run Jungfei is an ex-military man. Uh, he uses a lot of military metaphors in talking about the way Huawei is going to fight. Uh, and I remember visiting their massive, huge campus in a city called Shenzhen, which is one of China's tech hubs. And 
It was a huge poster as you entered one of the buildings of a uh, war aircraft that had lots of bullet holes in it, but was still flying. And uh, Runjing Fei used to say, well, this is a metaphor for, for my daughter and for our company, that despite the, the attacks upon us, um, we're still flying, we're still going strong. And I think morale had probably, you know, since that moment, they remained defiant. I think since that moment over the past couple of years, certainly I think morale's probably waned a bit. But I reckon with this sort of slight breakthrough in technology and, you know, a question mark over whether this is Huawei's revival, particularly in the smartphone market, this could perhaps reinvigorate, I think, some of that energy we saw, you know, immediately after a lot of these U.S. sanctions were being placed on the company. And I suspect right now the mood in the camp is one of, of slightly more morale because of, of, of this breakthrough uh, and the fact that it's gained attention on the world stage. So do you think, um, you know, th this is the company's big comeback? We've mentioned that it's sort of been up and down, um, it's sort of huge presence than hardly any. Um, is, this, is this the moment where, you know, Huawei gets back into the big time? So the US sanctions, the biggest effect was effectively wiping out Huawei's smartphone business, more or less, you know, outside of China. It's managed to kind of keep going on in China. The reason for that is because, one, they couldn't get their hands on 5G in Chinese and, and just general consumers around the world saying, well, I expect my latest phone to have 5G. And secondly, outside of China, because there was no access to, to Google software, which if you're an Android user, you know, you absolutely fully expect. Because there was none of that, in fact, nobody wanted to buy their phones. So they moved to other Android players or to Apple or whatever. And even more so in China, a lot of the, the, the people who were buying Huawei phones, because Huawei played in that premium high-end segment, when they couldn't get their hands on their technology, those Huawei users effectively went to Apple and started buying iPhones. So there was a big shift over 2019 and 2022 Apple uh, from those Huawei users. So if Huawei's managed to, to catch up on technology, if they managed to bring out an appealing high-end phone, Subscribe to the Squawkbox Europe Express podcast. Join Steve, Karen and myself, Arabile, in unscripted and dynamic debate around the day's top stories with first and exclusive interviews of the best in business and global newsmakers, original points of view and instant analysis of the latest business news and key market themes. Get set for the day ahead. Squawkbox Europe Express podcast, now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. That could be the beginnings of a revival. But I had an interesting chat, actually, Tom, with, with an analyst, because I wanted to get an outside perspective on this. That analyst is Nicole Pung. She's a senior vice president at Canalis, a market research firm, who's got you know very close eyes on what's happening in the smartphone market and how this is going to play out. So I asked her um, whether this might be the revival for Huawei. Let's just listen in. Beyond the family. I believe that Huawei is very likely to come back to a, a very important position in China. So, um, but compared to 2019, when it had its biggest sales in China, achieving more than 140 million a year shipment in a single market, um, I don't think that it's likely to come back to such a high, um, just a high level of shipment. Beyond the family. So that, that's interesting because yes, there is a view that Huawei could uh, come back. Um, but actually, 
that, that you have yeah, to temper it, some of that it's, expectations. It, it's, yeah, it sounded quite tempered. You know, it was very much a let's wait and see because Apple are so, so dominant. And also, if you're just sort of coming, if you're just starting to sort of emerge with, you know, technology that a lot of other smartphone brands have had for a while, um, you know, you're playing catch up a little bit, aren't you? Exactly. You're playing catch up and you've got to do a lot to to kind of come back. And you've got to prove to the market, actually, that this is not just a one off. We've got the technology and we're going to keep developing. So, I mean, for a company like Huawei, who, you know, like to portray corporate strength in the face of what is really tough competition, uh, how much skepticism should we have around the supposed 5G chip breakthrough, if any? I think we should have some skepticism, Tom, because we need, and I just need our listeners to just stick with me for a moment because I've got to just dig into the tech as to the reason for the skepticism. And it's this. The chip that's in Huawei's phone is a seven nanometer chip. Uh, When we talk about nanometers, we're referring effectively to uh, chip sizing. uh, And, you know, if you can fit effectively more transistors, these these almost electrical switches on a chip, um, on a smaller scale, you can get more on the chip, which means that the chip effectively will be more powerful, potentially lower power consumption, all this. Just to give you a view, seven nanometers is what Huawei's playing with. Apple's latest iPhone, three nanometers. So it's still generations behind. We've gone through five, four, and three before we've got to, um, you know, seven. So, so Huawei's chip is still a few generations behind at this point. But it was manufactured by a Chinese firm called SMIC, as I mentioned earlier. Prior to this, there were very few companies in the world, you could probably count on one hand, that could manufacture a 7 nanometer chip. TSMC, Samsung, probably Intel as well. So this is why the other big question mark over this whole story has come up. How did SMIC do it? Now, one analyst I spoke to had just said that it's actually, um, they've repurposed old technology. SMIC is another company that's been hit with US sanctions. Now, to to make a 7 nanometer chip, you need a specific machinery called an extreme ultraviolet lithography machine. There's really only one company in the world that makes that. It's a Dutch company called ASML. Now, ASML has been restricted from shipping that machine to China. China's never got its hand on the EUV machine. So again, everyone was like, how did they manufacture a 7 nanometer mm. chip? So as I mentioned, this analyst said, well, they're likely repurposing old technology. Now, the problem if you repurpose old technology is the chip production process may be more costly and not as efficient and not yield as many chips. So there's more wasted. It doesn't sound like it's going to be a very smooth process, basically. Exactly. So you kind of need the CUV machine to to make the chip making process profitable, more efficient, uh, and also for you to get the scale that you require. So if Huawei wants to make a revival and sell you know, tens, hundreds of millions of phones as it was before, it's going to need this chip to be able to scale to that level, right? And it's going to be able to make SMIC are going to have to make it viable. And we don't know if it is viable at this point in time. So maybe this is a limited production run. Maybe they're not able to sustain a big run of seven nanometer chips. Those are questions that I still have. Mm. Okay, uh, moving the the conversation on. I mean, uh, what does it also mean for, say, the likes of Apple in China, as you've mentioned already, you know, it's a lot of Huawei customers move to buying Apple phones um, as, as a replacement. Um, what does it mean for them? Uh, when Huawei was hit with those sanctions, Apple gained, as I mentioned, a lot of those Huawei customers. If this is indeed any kind of comeback, if Huawei managed to put out, you know, not just this device, but future devices over the next year or so that are high end, that compete with Apple with the latest technology, um, 
it could provide a real challenge to Apple once again in the market, particularly in that premium, more expensive segment of the market. And that was a, a similar view that I heard also from Nicole Pung of Canalis. Beyond the value. So I believe that Huawei's uh, return, especially its um, sharp focus on the high-end and premium segment, will definitely bring uh, bringing some impact to, to Apple sales. Um, but we need to look at that in um, in the past few years when um, Huawei's uh, been been reducing its um, its market share in China, Apple did pick, pick up uh, quite a significant chunk. Um, especially the high-end customers. Um, Apple's uh, shipment in China from 30 million a year in 2019 um, rise up to more than 15 million in 2020 for the full year. It's, um, it's a quite a significant uh, increase. Um, however, um, we need to remember that Apple in the past few years has been building up some um, significant install base in China. That means that with a higher install base um, of users, it can help them to not to not only to um, secure some some upgrade shipment in China market, and also help it to broaden its ecosystem um, sales um, in China. So if you look at right now the Apple's market share in not just smartphone, um, PC, um, smartwatches has been significantly higher than uh, in the past few years. Um, it's um, definitely, it's still a very important for market for Apple to continue to invest. However, it's it's very difficult to, to say that Apple will not be impacted by Huawei's return. Um, Huawei is Apple's biggest challenges in the market. Beyond the value. So Nicole, they're saying that actually she expects there to be a challenge to Apple. But again, I have to temper some of those expectations. We don't know how many phones Huawei is going to be able to sell. Apple these days has a massive install base of already iPhone users. And we know once people buy an iPhone, they're very like uh, unlikely to leave. And they'll probably just upgrade to whatever the next one is. So As much as Samsung tries to, you know, put those marketing ads out there and, you know, get people to switch, you know, it's it's tough. It is tough. Um, but but you, just, just back to that flip phone very quickly. Oh, no. no um, I know. Yeah. Flip phone. <laughs> I had like three people. I know that's, you know, there's, See, million, that, there's that, billions uh, of people in this world. But I had three people look at the phone and say I'd switch from Apple for that. So that ad is real. I don't know about you've the, the TV app. No. It's like they've been, you know, indoctrinated with it, you know, because they've they've seen the Samsung flick phone and gone. Oh, so it's happening in real life. Well, three three people. So <laughs> we've we've got to also good, temper the expectations. I've seen it and I'm sticking with the iPhone for now. Also because I've probably got you know free upgrade coming or something. Um, Cool. All right. Um, well, it's a great story, and um, I'm sure we will learn more in the coming weeks. Uh, but for now, um, let's chat about what else is happening beyond the valley. Beyond the valley. So the first story we're going to be talking about is uh, Amazon's potential $4 billion investment in a company that has built a rival to chat GPT. Is this, when's, when, is this a real story? Because $4 billion sounds like a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah, so the company's anthropic. Um, they are they 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 are a sort of rival to OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT. They were actually founded a couple of years ago, roughly, by by a couple of OpenAI executives. And Amazon saying that it's going to invest up to four billion dollars in this company. So Anthropic's got this AI chatbot called Claude, 
yeah, uh, and it's Claude. Yeah, <laughs> what do you think of the name? I, I, you know, I don't want to turn off any of our listeners. You know, all the Claudes are going to be are gone if I talk about that. That's name. true. It's yeah. a good name. It's an it's an an old name. Yeah. Well, sorts. it's it's more it's more human than 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 Alexa. Some of, yeah, or, or I think Alexa is quite GPT. popular now. Maybe we'll see Claude, you know, go up the sort of the the baby name rankings. There could be a significant Ale- impact. Yeah, yeah, or down, or down. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, I, there were a few things fascinating about the story because it's not just about the monetary investment. It was the other bits and, and factors of the story. So AWS, effectively, which is Amazon Web Services, the company's cloud division, will become the primary cloud provider for Anthropic. Um, The most fascinating part of this was that AWS chips, so Amazon designs its own chips for AI uses and for cloud uses. Um, They're going to be used by Anthropic to train what's known as foundational models. So if we think about ChatGPT or Claude, they're based on huge amounts of data being trained and learned from uh, to create these chatbots. And so the training requires these chips. Now, a lot of our listeners would have heard of NVIDIA being used, NVIDIA's graphics processing units being used to train these AI processes. But actually, AWS also designs its own. So I think part of this is also AWS saying, hey, you know, we also have our own technology and chips. So that was part of it. And also, um, Amazon has a, or AWS has a product called Bedrock. And effectively, if you're a company and you would like to make some sort of generative AI product, um, instead of building it all from scratch, you can go with Amazon Bedrock and, and effectively tailor make a, a generative AI product for your business. So those were the three bits of it. And just a broader story here, what is Amazon's play in AI? Because everyone needs an AI strategy these days. Well, it's threefold, I think. One is the chips. Secondly, is, the, is this Bedrock, where they're offering this service for people to make generative AI applications and run it on Amazon's cloud because they have the cloud service. And finally, they sell their own AI services too. So that sort of three-pronged approach almost is where Amazon's sort of looking at its strength. And I think that's why the story is fascinating as well. It's almost like Amazon's counter to Microsoft's mm. massive investment in open AI. Yeah. And they sort of covered like all the ba- their bases, you know, of the sort of production process to the delivery and, you know, they're, they're well in it. Um, okay. Uh, another story uh, that we um, touched on um, at the start of the episode uh, was about Japanese car maker Nissan and um, their plans to uh, continue or accelerate their their electrifying of their vehicles uh, which are sold in Europe which goes against or at least flies in the face of uh, the ban that we've recently seen from the UK or the potential ban um, or the, the delaying of the ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars which was supposed to happen by 2030 Um is it, it's interesting because I also saw, uh, just to touch on this, but uh, so Toyota also come out um, and say, good decision. But Nissan are saying, no, all full steam ahead, electrifying, we're going, you know, electric is the future. I think Nissan's at a crossroads where it's got to figure out what its future looks like, right? When you look at electric vehicles in Europe, so the company saying that every car is going to release now uh, is going to be electric uh, from now on in Europe. Um they're planning to release 27 electric and hybrid models by 2030 um, globally. Nissan has, is figuring out what its electric vehicle future looks like. I mean, if you look in Europe, it's Volkswagen and Tesla that dominate the market. On top of that, 
in China, which is a key market for Nissan, the company in the last two quarters has seen plunging sales because the the intense competition and the innovation going on in the EV market over in China as well. So it's sticking to its guns on EV because it actually it's going to have to eventually get to the point of selling EVs. So it better figure it out now uh, or not. And so I think that's part of... Um, you know what's happening here. I caught up with Makoto Uchida, who is the CEO of uh, Nissan this week as well, and he was discussing a little bit about the company's strategy. And I was more interested in the China market because that's where they've lost a lot of ground. Um, one of the te- tenants of that market is companies move fast. You'll see every four or five months new launches from the same company, uh, new car launches, upgraded software, something that traditional automakers can't quite match. Um, and so he told. But is it? Uh, sorry to cut you, cut you off there, are you in full flow? Um, but I mean, isn't it because this is relative to so the the combustion engine of our regular cars? Um, we're still fairly early on in the development process of electric cars, so the improvements are huge, and they're happening so fast in such short space of time. It, it's partly that. I mean, they are happening quite quickly, but the traditional automakers can't. You think about. Let's think about a consumer electronics company, right? Apple releases a new iPhone every year. Um, and, and in between that, it might have a new watch and a new iPad and a new Mac and whatever else product, Samsung, similar kind of thing, right? That's tech company thinking. Oh, we've got a new software upgrade. We'll just ping it to you via the cloud. That's tech company thinking. What do some of these Chinese EV players, like some Neo Xpeng do, even Tesla to some extent? While Tesla isn't launching loads of new models, it is constantly doing software upgrades. And, and same with these these uh, newer players, new cars are coming out all the time. They're thinking like tech companies, not like car companies. And that's the challenge for car companies, to think like tech companies. And that's really the big, I think, battle going on. So a company like Nissan has to figure out what that looks like for them. Can they move quickly and nimbly enough to really compete with some of these newer players? And in particular, you're right, it is early stage, but you want to establish a foothold early in what is a fast-growing market, because what if that window eventually shuts at some point? I think as this market develops more, it's going to be harder and and players become more entrenched. It's going to be harder and harder to just use your brand to you know get a foothold in the market. Okay, uh, those are our uh, other stories we're covering uh, this week. Uh, but now it's time for uh, you've been waiting. I know, I know. Uh, for stat of the week, uh, just remind us uh, from earlier in the show uh, what you, what the number is and uh, the little hints. It's uh, fifty-five point eight million. Yeah, uh, refers to the number of smartphone units shipped by a particular company in a particular period of time. Okay, um, I'm going to go Huawei twenty nineteen. Oh, very close, Tom. Very close. So it is Huawei. Mm. You got it Shockingly, half right. Surprisingly. Yeah, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you why I illuminated this stat in a minute. But it's Q2 of 2020. It was the first time they globally became the number one ranked smartphone player in the world. And that's how many units it shipped in Just that in quarter. Wow. Just in Q2 alone, 55.8 million. To give you a sense of the decline of this company... 55.8 million Q2 2020, 2020. Mm. Q2 2023, mm-hmm. i.e. this year, 8 million. Roughly 8 million. Wow. Huge decline. Yeah. Um, and that just gives you a sense of the impact that those sanctions have had on the company. Yeah. And and the mammoth task it is to revive. 
Well, we'll be watching. Um, okay, um, that's it for this episode. What uh, got anything exciting planned for for this week? We just uh, off to Poland or no, no, another Eastern European no, sure country. No, I'm taking a small vacation oh. over the weekend, which will be what? nice. What I know, but don't worry, we're going to still do a podcast. Okay, phew. Okay, yeah, don't just worry. in case our listeners were getting worried there. <laughs> yeah, they were swearing into their cornflakes. I don't know what time they're listening to this, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> There are other cereal brands available. Um, let's wrap it up there. Uh, but if you would like to email into the show, we've got an email uh, for you to email address for you to uh, write in. If you've got any questions or comments, um, it's beyond the valley at cnbc.com. Uh, so yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And obviously, to keep up to date with the very latest on tech, then cnbc.com is the place to go. Thank you, Arjun. Thanks, Tom. We'll be back next week, so do follow and subscribe. We're on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, so it's impossible to miss the next episode of Beyond the Valley. Goodbye. Beyond the Valley.